Exceeding Expectations, Episode 18. Welcome to Exceeding Expectations, the show about creating exceptional experiences for your customers. The guests on the show typically have the mindset of loving to over-deliver on their customers' expectations and are always trying to think of creative ways they can do this for the customers they work with. And it often results in great testimonials, positive word of mouth spreads about them, which is, I think, what we're all striving for. In this week's edition, I speak to a guy called Kurt Bowman, who has a podcast called The Art of Value, which is all about value pricing. If you're not familiar with what value pricing is, this episode could be very educational because he lays out exactly what it is and why we should all be switching to it and give some some very good reasons. So episode 18 with Kirk Bowman from The Art of Value. Today's edition of uh, Exceeding Expectations, we have a man by the name of Kirk Bowman. How are you doing, Kirk? I'm doing very well, Tony. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm really, really pleased you accepted my invitation because as we were speaking just now before we started recording, Kirk, for those of you who aren't aware, Kirk has a podcast called The Art of Value. And I've listened to nearly 100 episodes of that show and I only discovered it probably less than six months ago. So in the last four months, you've completely disrupted my normal podcast listening and all of the other shows that I usually listen to have all gone by the wayside and I've just been listening to yours. Well, thank you very much. That's a very (laughs) kind thing to say and, uh, you know, not to have a pun, but I'm glad you found it valuable. Yeah, uh, well, they've, they've definitely been valuable. And uh, I mean, let's, let's sort of launch straight into it because for those people who aren't familiar with The Art of Value, I mean, what, how would you describe your show? So The Art of Value is based on the business model of value pricing. It is a business model, meaning it's not just how you charge your customer. It's something that you decide to implement and it affects everything in your business from your mission down to the most minute tactical details. That business model, if I were to define it, is this, that in order to set a price, we first need to determine what is valuable in the eyes of the customer. In other words, we need to understand value from their perspective. And once we do, then we're in a position to set a price based on the value that we're going to create for them, not on for example, hours, which is an input, or some type of deliverable, which is an output, but based on outcomes. What is the desired result the customer wants to achieve and how is that valuable in their eyes? That's the basis for how we set a price. And typically, I'm I'm guessing when you first started the show, was the aim to, to, to help mostly sort of accountants and lawyers or was it to just kind of help anyone? The aim is to help anybody who might call themselves a service professional. So I do focus on the accounting and bookkeeping market, but I also work with lawyers, software developers, creative types, anyone who the first answer to the question, how would you price this or how would you charge is, well, I'll just track my hours and multiply it times my hourly rate. If that's you, Mm. the show's for you. And so most people listening probably 
are very familiar with the hourly pricing model. And can you explain why that is, uh, it's doing a disservice to your customers? It is. I'll, I'll kind of start with a catchphrase that I didn't even know it was good. Uh, I was actually on another show and I said it on the show and afterwards the host said, man, that was really good. I'm like, all right, I'm going to keep that. And it was mm. this. Hourly billing requires a calculator. Value pricing requires courage. In other words, if you're going to bill by the hour, all you need is third grade math because that's when they introduced the multiplication tables, at least when I was in school. Hmm. But if you want to price based on value, you have to have courage because it requires you to step outside your comfort zone, especially at first. So why is hourly billing so bad? The biggest reason, and I could probably do in a whole hour just on this topic, but the mm. biggest reason is because there is a conflict of interest between the customer and the professional when you bill by the hour. And let me explain. When you bill by the hour, it's in the customer's best interest for it to take as few hours as possible to get a lower price. And by the way, that's just being a good steward. All customers mm. want to maximize the value and lower the price. We all do that. Mm. But for the professional, it's in your best interest to have as many hours as possible for maximum revenue. Mm. Well, how can you provide a service when the way you bill puts you at odds with your customer? They want as few hours as possible. You want as many as possible. That's a conflict of interest. And I don't care how ethical you are. It's still a dilemma that you have to wrestle with. And there mm. are other things we could get into, such as it focuses on the wrong thing or nobody is really accurate with their time tracking and so on and so forth. But for me, it's that one thing. You're not aligned with your customer. And when you're not aligned with your customer, you're not putting their best interests ahead of yours. Hmm. There's a story which you, I, I imagine you probably know. It's a, a story, and, and I don't know how whether this is true or not, but it's about Picasso. And he was um, painting in somewhere in, in Paris, and a, and a lady walked along and she saw Picasso you know, sitting there painting. And she said, wow, wow, Picasso, would you paint a picture of me? And he said, yeah, of course. And he, he quickly sketched out and he did this amazing picture in just five minutes. And he handed it to her and she said, wow, that is just phenomenal. How much is that? And he said, that's 5,000 fran uh, 5, francs. And she said, but it only took you five minutes. And he said, no, madam, that took me my whole life. Exactly. And that's another one of the disadvantages of hourly billing is the faster you get, the better you get, the less money you make. And it should be mm. the opposite. And there are mm. many other stories about this. There's one that's attributed to Henry Ford. And he had uh, oh, yeah. a piece of equipment in the factory that wasn't running properly. And the short version is the guy sent him a $10,000 invoice and, and Ford complained. Well, the guy wrote back his justification, $1 for fixing it, $9,999 for knowing how to fix it. Hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And so I remember hearing on one of your episodes, cause you used to be, um, you weren't originally into value pricing and you were sort of almost talking against it, weren't you? And it, you were at a, was it a conference or some sort of podcast place where someone spoke about value pricing, which changed your whole views on it? Yes. So the way I got into value pricing I have been a software developer now for 25 years. Mm -hmm. I was at a 
technical conference back in 2009, and I organized a session on estimating and billing practices for software developers. Mm -hmm. And I took the position, I was one of four panelists, and my position was that the only fair way to do it is to bill by the hour because we don't know how long it's going to take. Well, if you're billing by the hour, you feel like the way to justify your price is how long it takes. So that must be fair, but actually it's not because Mm -hmm. the customer needs to know the price before they buy. I mean, we do that with automobiles. We do it groceries. We do it with gas. You name almost anything else. You're going to know how much it costs before you buy, except for professional services. Mm. So there was another panelist who presented the idea of value pricing. He said one thing that just rocked my world. He said, if you bill by the hour, there's an artificial limit on your income. And he is completely right because you can only raise your rate so high. You can only bill so many hours in the year. And quite frankly, unless you're a lawyer, you're not going to be able to get hourly rates approaching $1,000, $2,000 an hour. And even for them, there's a lot of pushback nowadays. But Mm. for people that are not attorneys, you start getting rates close to 200 or or higher, it's just not going to fly. Now, that's not the only reason, but that was the reason that put me on the path. And so I studied value pricing for 90 days. Then I made a public commitment on a podcast to switch. We switched my software business in 13 months. We saw revenue increase by 50% the first year and 70% the second year. And and how did your clients um, react to it? So when you make the switch and there's really, it's a two part thing. So the switch is what happens in your mind. It's your mindset. It's your paradigm shift. It's your philosophy of doing business. That is a switch that flips on in an instant, but then that triggers a transition and the transition takes time. I think it usually takes one to two years. And during that transition, the first thing is start with new customers, ideally small new customers. Get your feet wet. Don't risk the whole business by trying to switch it all at once. Do it gradually. And new customers, it's the easiest way. They haven't worked with you before. They have no clue. If you say, this is how I do business, they'll accept it. Now, they may ask, well, why don't you bill by the hour? And there are plenty of good answers to that question, but you need to have one. But when it comes to existing customers, you need to look for an opportunity to make the transition. And what I advocate is actually educating your customers in advance that a change is coming, usually 90 days or so. And ideally, Mm -hmm. you'll do it through an email campaign. You kind of got to plan the campaign out. How many messages are you going to have? How many advantages to the customer are you going to educate them on for this change? Mm -hmm. But ultimately, at least for me, uh, everything I do is project-based in the software world. So when one project ends and another's about to begin, that's when I will implement the change. And obviously, I'll have to explain why. Some customers love the idea that we're no longer going to bill by the hour. Because to be honest, nobody likes to be billed by the hour. Now, mm-hmm. you don't mind to bill by the hour, but to mm-hmm. be billed, to be the recipient of the invoice that has hours on it, nobody likes a horrible customer experience. So a lot of them just jumped at it. Others were hesitant because it's something new and we don't like change, but they tried it and they succeeded um, or they just don't want to go. Mm. And 
for the ones that don't want to go, you've just got to be prepared to refer them to somebody else. And by the way, that's okay. Having a referral to somebody else is part of being a mature business person who says, I'm not the best fit for everybody and I'm going to be courageous and not be scared of not making enough money. I'm going to say we're not a good fit. Hmm. And on, on your show, I mean, you've interviewed people from many different industries. It's not, it's by no means just accountants and, and lawyers and, and so on. I know. And you've also haven't taken an easy path. Cause I remember hearing a, a, at least one show, probably more where you interview people who were very much against value pricing. And so how, if you could maybe kind of sum up how they, well, did it end up that they agreed with you or were they still adamant that value pricing was just not for them? So it's interesting. I, I think of two guests that I'll use to kind of answer your question. Um, the first, I'm not going to name just because the part of the show I'm going to describe, we did not air, but I'll explain why. So I had a guest on, he had been referred to me by someone in a mastermind group. He has a very successful software business and I interviewed him about their company culture. And I just made the assumption nobody could be this successful and bill by the hour. Well, we got two thirds of the way into it. Turns out he does and he's proud of it. And so basically I just kind of had to edit that out and leave the rest of it because the rest of it was great content. And I, I didn't raise the question with him because I didn't figure out, I didn't ask because I made an assumption. Mm-hmm. And so it was unfair to spring that on him on the show. Right. So mm-hmm. I just let that go. But now mm-hmm. I think of another guest and I will tell you the name of this one, Tim Dietrich. Tim mm-hmm. is a fellow software colleague of mine. And I had Tim on the show twice. The first time I had him on was, I think the name of it was a contrarian view of value pricing or something like that. Mm. If you just go to my website and search for Tim, it'll should come up in the short list of shows. But anyway, Tim was against it. And I interviewed him about why he was against it. Um, he knew that's the conversation that we were going to have and he was willing to have it. And I thought it was helpful to educate my audience because some people are on the fence. And so after a while of hearing me talk about it, so good, it's so good, so good. They need to hear the opposite point of view to help them make a decision. But then Mm -hmm. about a year later, I had Tim back on the show. And during that year's time, um, he made the switch and he now pretty much does all value pricing. And so I actually planted the seed with him. And then a year later, he made the switch. And what was it that changed his mind? I would have to go back and look at the particular episode, but I think he just began to realize that one, he was shortchanging the customer. It's a horrible Mm. customer experience to build by the hour. Nobody likes it. Mm. But two, he was undercutting his own income. He was not Mm. in a position to make the dollars that he was worth. He was not capturing a a fair portion of the value he was creating for the customer. Hmm. And I think once he did a couple and he goes, wow, plus the projects run easier. Hmm. Value pricing requires great project management, but if you can do that, projects are easy. And by the way, the customers are usually happier too. Hmm. I mean, are there any industries where pricing by the hour, it does make sense? I don't think so, but there are some industries where I think even making the request is even harder. So one of the ones where it, I just, I can't stand it is construction. 
Okay. Uh, trades, that kind of stuff. And I think like an individual house painter, it's easy for them to make the switch, but I'm thinking about construction companies who, you know, build schools or hospitals or office buildings, that kind of thing is there's so much deep tradition there and that industry, man, they're just nickel and dime. I mean, literally they have to show their costs and their markup. And I mean that the whole model for submitting bids and all of that in that industry is based on it. So I don't think they can change. I would love mm-hmm. to see them, but I'm, I'm just, and nobody in that industry will listen anyway. That's probably the reason it won't change. Nobody will listen. If somebody would listen, somebody would figure out to do it different, but nobody in that industry is willing to listen. Mm-hmm. Another example that I'll use, um, one of the questions I would get sometimes is, well, what about people where essentially you show up, you're with them for 60 minutes, 90 minutes, then you leave. So for example, massage, if if you get mm-hmm. massages, a lot of times those are done by the hour or, or hour and a half or something like that. And mm-hmm. what I realized was in that particular case, time to me is the packaging. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're billing by the hour. It's, it's the packaging, right? Mm-hmm. In other words, in my mind, I'm not paying for the 60 minutes. I'm paying for a great massage. And if I don't get a great massage, one, I'm probably going to tip less. And two, I'm probably going to go to somebody else. Hmm. And would you, I mean, I know there's, I'd imagine there aren't any kind of statistics about statistics about this, but are for businesses or industries like accountants, have many of them now changed over to value pricing or is hourly pricing still the majority? Hourly pricing is still the majority. So if you, and I forget what the curve is, but it's kind of the product life cycle. Um, Mm. We're not on the bleeding edge anymore, but we're still on the leading edge. So Mm. right now, just the fact that you value price is a differentiator and it, it actually can be part of what sets you apart from your competition and allows you to offer something different to your customers. Now it requires more than just that, but it can be part of it, but Mm. it's not taken hold to the point where you know, people are going, all right, I got three, the value price and two, the hourly price. No, that's not happening right now. Mm. Um, it, and that's, that's, there's so much resistance. Um, and it's, there's really, um, a conflict within the industry. So for example, uh, spoken the last couple of years at Intuit's QuickBooks connect conference in November is when they do their U S conference. And I speak there and there are probably half a dozen sessions every year on value pricing by me and others. But then there's, you know, there's other sessions uh, where they talk about time-based billing. QuickBooks actually bought a company called T-Sheets that does time tracking. So there's definitely that conflict. There's that friction Mm. and we'll see how it plays out. We feel like, and I say we, meaning me and my colleagues that, all kind of preach this message. We feel like the domino is tipping, but we know we're in it for the long game, not the short game. Because you're part of um, an organization called Verisage, and are they very much in favor of value pricing? Very much so. In fact, Verisage was founded by Ron Baker, who's written six books, one of which is called Implementing Value Pricing, another is called Pricing on Purpose. And essentially what Ron wanted to do is create a think tank of people who agree that time billing sucks. You need to be able to price the customer upfront, that that's part of a positive customer experience. And so one of the 
tenets, if you will, of Verisage is we want to eradicate the billable hour in all the professions. And so we have fellows, it's a think tank. So we have senior fellows, practicing fellows, et cetera. And we have people that are lawyers, accountants, software developers, creatives, kind of those four disciplines are the ones we focus on. Mm-hmm. And we each, some of us have consulting practices, some of us actually are accountants or are software developers. But every two years, we actually come together and do what the label says. We think. We come together for usually a couple of days every two years to share ideas and brainstorm. What have you learned the last two years? What have you tried that failed? What have you tried that's been a wild success? And so, for example, we're going to be gathering in Melbourne, Australia in November 2019 uh, again. And there'll probably be about 10, 12 fellows there, and it's actually going to be open to the public. So we don't have uh, registration for that available yet, but keep an eye out on the Verisage site, on the Art of Value site, if uh, you have any interest in that at all. And is Verisage sort of quite international? Oh, very much so. Very much so. In fact, um, two years ago, the Verisage, we call it the Verisage Symposium, this uh, biennial gathering, was here in Allen, Texas in where I live. Mm -hmm. And in conjunction with that, I did a conference right before it, which was just the art of value conference. And Mm -hmm. I would say half the attendees were international. Now I would say they were all from English speaking countries. So meaning primarily New Zealand, Australia, UK, but Mm -hmm. yes, easily a third to half of the attendees were international. And, and that's from, is there sort of majority would be people such as sort of accountants or is it quite widespread over many different professions? I would say it's probably 50% accountants and then the rest are the other three, meaning right. lawyer, software, and creative. So just before we move on from value pricing, for people who are intrigued by the whole concept of value pricing, because I'm, my, I'm guessing that a lot of people listening to this are probably not so familiar with it. Where apart from listening to your podcast would be the obvious place to go to. Where else would you recommend that they could find out more about it? Obviously, there are some other resources out there. So uh, one book that I highly recommend is Implementing Value Pricing by Ron Baker. Now, I will preface it by saying Ron is a scholar. And so he spends the first two-thirds of the book, the first 200 pages, setting up why Value pricing is the way to do business and why hourly billing sucks. And then he spends the last third explaining how to implement it in your business. It's a heavy read, but it's probably the best book on the subject. Uh, Another book that it doesn't address value pricing specifically, but it's a great mindset book. If you're going to try to make a shift, I really like um, Win Without Pitching by Blair Enns. You can find that on Amazon or at winwithoutpitching.com. Those are a couple of good resources. Uh, Mentioned the Art of Value show, my podcast, uh, another podcast that's done by Ron Baker and my colleague Ed Kless is called The Soul of Enterprise. You can find that at thesoulofenterprise.com. So those are maybe four resources you could get started with. Um, Mm -hmm. But if you Google value pricing, there is more and more content coming up. I'm amazed how much content there is now compared to 10 years ago when I was making the switch. So it sounds like people are slowly moving towards it more and more. Yes, certainly. And value pricing, I want to say this, it's not just for people who bill by the hour. 
For example, mm-hmm. one of my colleagues, um, Mark Stiving, he has a PhD uh, from, I think it's Stanford or Berkeley, and he has just started a consulting practice on pricing, and he's specializing in hardware companies. For example, companies like Tesla that make cars, but a lot of what they focus on are the software upgrades to the car, right? Things like that. Mm-hmm. And he approaches them from a value pricing perspective. In other words, find out what the perception of value is to the customer and then base your pricing on that, not on costs. Right. And on your, because I know that you're a speaker as well. And so is what you speak about, is it sort of just on, on pricing or do you speak on other topics as well? I would say everything I speak about is related to pricing in some way. There's probably four major topics that I typically speak on. Um, one is on having the value conversation. How do you talk to a customer? What questions do you ask? How do you ask them? How do you facilitate the conversation to understand value from their perspective? The mm-hmm. second is how do you create options? A, a big part of value pricing is offering the customer more than one choice. Mm-hmm. What I say is when you offer the customer one choice, the question they're answering in their mind is, will I hire you? When you offer them three choices, the question shifts to how will I hire you? You become your own competition. So that's another topic. Third topic that I speak on a lot is just kind of the whole proposal cycle. How do do you put a proposal together? How do you set the price? How do you present the proposal? That. And then probably the fourth is kind of the project management side. Everybody says, well, you're given a fixed price. What about scope creep? How do you manage it? And so I talk about that and there's several subtopics within that, but I'd say those are probably the four big things that I talk on the value conversation, creating options, presenting proposals and project management. And cause you, you have a book as well, don't you? I am working on a book. Right. Okay. And when do you think that will be out? I would love to see myself finish that sometime in 2019. How's that for a vague answer? <laughs> Is it a much bigger project than you anticipated? It is. And I've got so many other good projects that finding time, and I'll just be honest, I'm not a writer. So mm. probably what I need to do is I need to dictate the chapters and then you know hire an editor because I just don't enjoy writing. I don't mind writing email content from an email list because those are usually short, but long written content is just not my thing. I prefer audio and video. And you mentioned in there when I asked you about what subjects, you know, what topics you talk on, and you talked about the the value that you can provide to clients. And 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 this whole podcast is about giving clients, you know, trying to over deliver and give them much more value than they expected, so that you know that you end up with great referrals and testimonials, and people just love working with you. So, it, I mean, what are your thoughts on that kind of whole area? On providing value to the customer, on the value you create? Yeah. So I think, first of all, you have to believe you create value. That's where it starts. Everything and pretty much 90% of pricing is is head stuff. It's mindset. Mm. It's what's between the ears. It's what you believe. You have to believe you create value. And a lot of professionals don't even believe they create value Mm. because they don't believe it. They're not even aware of the value they create. And so they have to start with, number one, believing they create value. And usually how they come to believe that is they have to look at the work they've already done and go back and go, well, what was the value I created? Not what did I deliver to the customer, but what was the customer able to do because they worked with me? 
what was the better place the customer was able to get to because we partnered together that they could not have gotten to on their own? And what was that worth to them? Not just in dollars, but possibly in time. Or we could be things like employee morale or customer satisfaction, or they got to take their first vacation in five years. Or what are those things? And if you don't know, go ask. Your best customers, the one you have a good relationship with, go, hey, could I buy you coffee? Could we have lunch? Could we go play around to golf? And ask them, say, look, what has been the best part of working with me? And they might go to, well, you, you know, you respond this or that, and you go, hey, I appreciate that. But what I want to know is, what's the better place you're in because we work together? You need to mm-hmm. find that out. Once you believe you create value, and once you can recognize the value you create, then you're in a position to have value conversations because you've got confidence. You can't have a value conversation without confidence. Yeah. And so then once you understand the value you're providing and, and, and as you say, you've got more confidence in what you are given, then it's easier, well, A, to, to price yourself properly, but then you can also kind of not hold back almost and, and give them additional value that they weren't even expecting. Well, certainly. That's one of the reasons I love using options is because typically customers are looking for something. There's a what. And a lot of times when professionals talk to customers, they just talk about the what. So for example, in the software industry, um, I want CRM. I need a CRM system. I need a custom project management system or something along those lines. But why do you need it? Give you an example that I think really illustrates this. I had Uh, someone contact me and I can't even remember the profession now, but basically they wanted a custom CRM system. And I said, well, why do you want it? And Mm -hmm. I really had to dig and dig. They were not coming up with any valid reasons. And finally it came up. Well, my competitor has it. I said, okay, well, what is advantage? Does it give your competitor? How does it hurt you to not have it? And basically his answer was, well, I don't know, but they have it. So I want it. And that's, that's not going to work because Mm -hmm. what I could have focused on the, what that he asked me to do and we could have Mm -hmm. built it, but what would have happened at the end of the engagement? Because he he couldn't articulate why it was valuable. Mm -hmm. He just thought he wanted it because somebody else had it. If he saw something else, somebody had, and he started focusing on that all of a sudden working with me is not important anymore. And I would argue it wasn't very important to begin with. Mm. but I'm just setting the, I'm setting myself up and the customer for failure. Mm. Well, we've, um, we've almost come to, I mean, it's flown by, it's nearly half an hour already. What, what would you, what suggestions would you give to anyone listening as to why it is a good idea to, to try to exceed what your customer does expect? That's almost a cliche nowadays. Uh, I think of it this way, you know, you go to a website and they say, Hey, we provide great customer service and high quality and we're responsive. And I'm thinking, Oh, great. Thank goodness. I found somebody who does that, you know, because last year I was looking for somebody who didn't do that. And I had a bad experience with it. We're always Mm. looking for those things, right? They're table stakes. So Mm. exceeding what the customer expects to me, that's a table stake. You just got to do that. If, mm. if the customer is not better off in a way they didn't anticipate by working with you, they're not going to stick around. So the good news is I think the best way to over deliver 
is to just have a fanatical focus on value. And that's what value pricing does because value pricing starts with value and pricing comes second. It's not pricing value, it's value pricing. And Mm -hmm. if you're focused on value in a fanatical way, you will just almost without trying sometimes wow the customer. And so you, you don't have, it doesn't have to become something you strive for. It becomes a byproduct of who you are. That's why I said it starts with what you believe in your mindset. Mm-hmm. Well, just be, I mean, there's a, a lot of people I imagine will start listening to your show. I mean, you've, you're up to, was it about 130 episodes or so now? That's right. And are you, <laughs> I imagine it must get difficult trying to find new guests. I mean, how do you go about finding new guests for the show? It's funny you say that. I actually, now I, I've recorded, I haven't recorded any new episodes this year. We're about 10 days into the new year and I'm probably not going to have a new episode out until probably latter part of January, but I've already got four themes picked out for the year and a long list. I mean, if I just did one show on each theme each month, Mm-hmm. I would already have a year's worth of episodes. It's you might think that, but once once you start thinking and your creative juices get going, all of a sudden guess is not the issue. Mm-hmm. I think the issue becomes being consistent, not getting distracted into doing something else because I'm like a lot of other creative people, you know. In fact, my team members one time got me a shirt that says easily distracted by shiny objects. <laughs> Well, Kirk, it's been a pleasure um, listening to you for the last half an hour. A pleasure talking to you for the last half an hour. If people want to find out more about you, where should they go to? I just say go to the website, artofvalue.com, or you can email me, Kirk, at artofvalue.com. And of course, I'm on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, but start with the website. That's where you'll find the show. We're also on iTunes. So if you want to subscribe, you can do that. Okay, and I'll put all of those links into the show notes as well. So, Kirk, thank you very much for for taking the time to be on this show, and I look forward to hearing some more great episodes of The Art of Value. Thanks, Tony. Thank you. Next week in episode 19, I speak with Mark Sanborn. He's a president of Sanborn and Associates, and he's written many, many best-selling books, including, um, I think his biggest-selling book was a, a book called The Thread Factor, which is all around the area of customer experience. And, and Mark is a very experienced speaker. He's a member of the, uh, the National Speakers Association in America, and he's actually um, in their Speaker Hall of Fame. One of the uh, there's not so many people in that. He's got his list of clients is just well, it's phenomenal. Hewlett Packard, Costco, uh, Cisco, I mean major major company, ESPN, IBM, you know, huge corporations. So that's next week with Mark Sanborn, and he really comes up with some really interesting uh, concepts, and it's def- definitely be worth listening to. So I hope you've enjoyed this show. If you did like the show, please join the Facebook group. Maybe start a conversation on there about anything you've heard in this episode or any other episode. If there's someone you would like to hear on the the show, please do let me know. 
it would be great if you could leave a review on in itunes a podcast now we did a blog recently on how to leave a podcast review so you can find that on the website and in the um, in the facebook group as well so hope you have a fantastic week and i'll see you next week for episode 19